New week, Hawkeye game week has returned. David Eichel along with Sean Bach of Hawkeye Insider 24-7 Sports. Iowa's down a lot of members right now, their football team, and so is the Swarmcast. We are down without uh, Dylan Byrne. He's just doing other Dylan Byrne things, old 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 people things, Sean. Uh, yep. But anyway, uh, I guess we'll, we'll rock with what we got. So, uh, Sean, how, how you doing, man? You made a couple big, big trip up last weekend to return home and – Caught up with some Hawkeye commits over the weekend. Yeah, it was a pretty productive Friday night, pretty productive weekend overall. Um, went home this weekend. Uh, actually, well, kind of went home. I did go home on Saturday. On Friday, I drove through home, went to northwest Indiana where a lot of my family's from, and then I traveled another hour and a half east um, in Indiana to see Culver Academy's 2021 defensive end, Deontay Craig and Indianapolis for both Jesuit. 2020 linebacker Jay Higgins, who are both committed to Iowa. Um, great game out of those two. Kelvin Bell was in attendance. Um, and, yeah, I mean, those two definitely definitely fit the bill of what an Iowa football player brings to the table. And there's definitely a lot of upside with both of them. I know Higgins was kind of a guy that Iowa was tracking for a while. There were a couple guys ahead of him. Wasn't sure if he was going to get that Iowa offer. Pretty low rated, too, on our um, 24-7 sports rankings. But – he got the Iowa offer, committed. The 24-7 staff did a reevaluation, really liked what they saw. And I honestly, if after Friday's performance, after seeing him all over the field, I, I would give him another bump or so. Um, he looked he looked really good, very active, very physical, everything. Um, same thing with Craig. I was impressed with him. He's six foot three, six foot four around there, um, 230, 240, moved super well for his size. Played a little bit of tight end and receiver too for Culver, which is kind of scary. I mean, didn't do much on that end. But still defensively got into the backfield, had like two sacks or something like that, um, had a blocked field goal, which was big during that point in the game. Um, really couldn't go wrong with those commits. Kelvin Bell did a great job with those guys, especially getting Craig, but even finding Higgins too. And just he did he did a heck of a job in Indy, and he still does. So really, really good to see those two out and about. Very nice kids, um, very cool to chill with. I talked with Jay's dad for a bit, and he's an awesome guy. Um, I met Craig's dad too. Great dude. Um, just, just a really good, really productive trip. And I think Iowa fans are have a lot to be excited about with those two coming. Yeah, you know, I, I do agree with you about Jay Higgins. I think Jay Higgins. Uh, I think he will get a bump before the end of the year because all you really have to do is look at the caliber of competition he plays, and then look at his product production. I mean, what's he at? Five games he's played, and he's got what? Sean, sixty-seven tackles, sixty-eight yeah, tackles, something around there. And I mean, too, he's he plays both ways, which is kind of crazy to think about. Like he's on the field a lot, and he just doesn't he just doesn't give up, doesn't let up. Great shape. One of those guys where you kind of notice when he's on the field. I know we see it too often with some Big Ten recruits, even Division One recruits in general. That sometimes they'll kind of maybe take plays off or come back a little bit, kind of disappear. But Higgins, man, like he's on, he's like on the beat, like every play. It's, it's pretty impressive to watch. Yeah. So I, I'm interested to see what, what he uh, kind of ranks out when he, uh, when they do that reevaluation. Yeah. Like you said, that blocked field goal uh, by, by Craig was scary. He split between two line, man. That first step is, I mean, that, that that's absolutely lethal. That first step that he has, I was extremely impressed. Uh, I just watched the highlights that you shot and everything like that. So, yeah. And, you know, I think, I think you said 
said uh, you said right though, Sean. I think this class in general for Iowa, they just fit Iowa mold kids about players who have traditionally uh, come through the program and have success. Uh, the mm-hmm. right mindset, kind of those leadership qualities, kind of outgoing. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I think Iowa got a pair of really good players. And it, again, I, I want to bring this up just for a second. The the way Iowa stayed after Deontay Craig, and for them to really do a complete, you know, one eighty with him and how how Craig viewed him was an impressive get by the Iowa staff. Not not often that you you see that sort of just switch happen, but right. but did because he. Craig, people forget Craig only officially visited Iowa, not as I mean, even said I think Steve Wolfong, he said, Hey, I'm gonna go visit because they they've done a really nice job recruiting me. They've given me a lot of attention. I feel like I owe it to them. Yeah. And a big a big thing with Craig visiting Iowa or even considering Iowa at first was when he saw Jay Higgins got that offer and when he committed, he was like, All right, all right, maybe maybe I could see myself here. Maybe there's here's another for reason for me to look at it and just just fell in love with the place. It's crazy how one moment can kind of shape shape our whole lives. And I think that's what that's what happened to Craig there. He kind of had that oh crap moment. Like this place could like very well could be the place for me. Yeah, no, I mean you're absolutely right. Uh, but no, I mean Sean Sean's done a nice job. There's a lot of content at HawkeyeInsider.com. Uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, there is more more content from Sean's trip. Uh, to, it was at Culver, correct? Yeah, Culver Academies in uh, Culver, Indiana. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful lake up there. Some actual. I mean, get, we have actual football to talk about now, Sean. Rather than just you know storylines, Iowa. That Iowa bye week couldn't have come at a better time. We mentioned that last week, but the players and everyone kind of reinforced that today. Iowa junior safety Geno Stone said, "Hey, like I'm thrilled that there was a bye week last week." He said that his body was so beat up after the Iowa State game, and he just said, I finally feel like myself again. I feel like it's week one. I'm ready to do this. And, you know, I it's kind of just crazy to me because I think he's also more sore because I don't want to say he's carrying the secondary, but he's had to take on a much bigger role than, you know, than he planned to because even Kirk Ferentz said today, half of the two deep from the secondary is standing in street clothes on the sideline watching practice. Like the secondary is still completely beat up. So what you saw against Iowa State might be the same against Middle Tennessee State. And Middle Tennessee State has a lot of speed and they have a couple of really good receivers. Yeah, I mean, with Middle Tennessee, who isn't the strongest opponent, I mean, offensively, they they do some weird things. They kind of change it up a lot. I know when you scout teams, you can kind of see certain certain trends or certain patterns with the team on offense, but with Middle Tennessee State, they kind of do whatever. They do different formations, different plays. They line up weird. Um, it's just a really interesting team. And you look at the numbers, too. Isn't it that their quarterback is their leading rusher or something like that? Yeah. It, it was against Duke. He, he led the team in rushing, and the ground game really didn't do anything. Um, so they'll try to trick you up on offense. They'll try to do different things, try to make things interesting. And – I know a lot of that falls on kind of the defensive line and middle line, the linebackers, but the secondary is going to be have to going to have to be ready too. And I think that Iowa State game was not only a good um, kind of confidence builder, but I think that's one way you could. Or I think that's kind of the way you want to go about it, or kind of 
refer to it as because you look at DJ Johnson, that was his first start on the road at corner. Did a decent job, except maybe a couple mix-ups here and there. Him and Jack Kerner had some miscommunication in the secondary, but I think those kinks will work itself out. But you look at that, you have a team against Iowa State with a lot of playmakers. You have a team like Middle Tennessee State, who is solid. Um, I mean, they've struggled in their losses, which granted were against Duke and Michigan. Uh, Michigan's obviously struggled against Wisconsin, but they're a step ahead of Duke or um, right around Iowa. Middle Tennessee did play Michigan strong for three quarters, though. Michigan just kind of pulled away in the last uh, in the fourth. So so did Army. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it like you said, it, it's interesting. I mean, they have a lot of speed, and it actually it's inter- I, I was talking to Davey on Nixon today. And I brought up the quarterback because, like you said, he's the leading rusher on that team. And I asked him kind of what he does and what he sees out of him. And Davion started laughing. And he said he actually played against him when he was at a – when Nixon was at Iowa Western. So he, he, he knows what he likes to do and that kind of his tendencies. He brought up the fact that the uh, – Asher O'Hare, who's the middle Tennessee quarterback – he likes to jump over guys, which mm-hmm. kind of is weird to me because you don't see a quarterback doing that, especially, you know, because things are always more dangerous when you're in the air, especially. Yeah. And it's it's not like he's a big guy. He's only six feet, 190 pounds. But Nixon said he's fast. He's elusive. Uh, and he's had a, a 17 a rush for 17 yards or more in each of his games this season. And he is that team's leading rusher. So, they're going to do, I think, a lot of what Iowa State did. I think they're going to do a lot of quick passes. They have the active NCAA reception leader in Ty Lee, 5'9", uh, 193-pounder, really fast kid, really athletic, solid hands. So DJ Johnson and that secondary are going to – and Michael Ojemudia and those guys are going to have a big test ahead of them. So, you know, I, I'm I'm interested to see how Iowa contains it. I mean, I think – Jimon Colbert can play a big part of that and kind of that QB contain because right now this seems like it'd be a perfect opportunity to run that cash personnel, that four, two, five. But I mean, Iowa just does not have the DBs to do that right now. So I'd almost exclusively look for them to go a four, three, maybe besides a handful of snaps. And I, I think they're, they are going to run that four, three, but Kirk basically wouldn't allude to the fact that they're eliminating it. And he says it's still in the game plan if they need to use it, but I really don't know at this point who they throw into that 425. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This is kind of off topic, but looking at Asher O'Hara, he's from Rolling Meadows, Illinois. Went to College of DuPage um, for two years, which is near me, which is the community college I would have gone to. Um, I've actually played him in basketball a couple of times growing up, which is, <laughs> oh, really? which is yeah, which is kind of kind of weird to think about. But yeah, I think the four two five would probably be your best bet. At this point, um, and actually, I just saw his huddle popped up too, and the first clip was him jumping over someone. So I mean, he's got good speed um, for a quarterback. Got a nice arm too. 
Uh, I'm not really sure what kind of weapons he's dealing with um, in terms of, I mean, what they got the Ty Lee kid. Who's, Ty Lee, they, they yeah. had a couple of decent receivers, but Lee's that big headliner. Yeah, he's like 5'9", mostly a slot receiver, which yep. you got guys who, I mean, that would be a good test. I think if you take him out of the game, that kind of really takes the middle Tennessee offense out of loop. I mean, same thing with Asher O'Hara. You put a QB spy on him, you're going to give him trouble. Um, it could be another Rutgers type game, but it could also be a game where Iowa, if they have a couple of letups, then maybe O'Hara and Lee can connect on a couple of big plays, or O'Hara can use can use his speed or use his feet to to really make a to break a big run. So on defense, you just you don't want to get too you don't want to get too fancy with it. You don't want to be switching them up every time, like testing stuff. But I think I think it'd be a good game to kind of use your different formations, see what works, what what doesn't um, see like, Hey, like if these guys are out for another week, like, can we do this rotation? Can we put these guys in? Can we do this front? Can we switch these guys? What can we do? What can we do with different formations that maybe give different looks? If that makes sense. I think that would be, that would be something maybe to look, to look forward to if they get a big enough lead early on. But I think with O'Hara, like you said, Dave, like, putting a spy on him and then making sure you have a guy that can really shut down Ty Lee is going to be going to be the big difference. Yeah. And I, th- I think this is a big game for Iowa's defensive line as well, because I think they need more confidence going into Ann Arbor next week. And it's, it's interesting too. Every time we've talked to AJ Epinesa post game, I don't think Epine- maybe besides the Rutgers game, I think he was okay with the Rutgers game, but he was, he's been very, He's been very vocal about how disappointed he is in the defense uh, in the first and third game. So I, I asked Davion Nixon and a couple other guys this, and they 100% backed AJ's uh, assessment. They, they uh, Nixon said when they've gone in the film room with Kelvin Bell and those guys to break down film, they just leave shaking their heads because they they can't believe what they're seeing. It doesn't look like the defensive line that, they know they can be, and they know they need to produce at a higher level. And it's surprisingly, Nixon did know uh, that Iowa's defensive line has only garnered two sacks through the first three games. That's not something that most Iowa teams really know about. Uh, Honestly, though, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, KB or um, some of the other Iowa players have something, like, hung up in the defensive line room. In one of the meeting rooms, that says, like, there's total sack and just, like, two sacks, that's it. Or, like, there's a constant reminder. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a thing. That seems like it's a Kelvin Bell-type motivation. I could see that. And here, the thing is, too, it's it's not all Iowa's fault to some extent because I think I, – I said this – I think I said this last week, Sean, but I Matt Campbell and that Iowa State game plan to a, a, attack Iowa I thought was great. A lot of quick drop-back passes for Purdy, very high – you know, high, high efficient uh, – passes that put Iowa state in a position to win that game. Um, So I I think part of that's game plan, but part of it is Iowa defensive line just needs to kind of break through. They need to have that big game, especially uh, I mean, I don't know if you watched that Wisconsin Michigan game, Sean, but yeah, I saw uh, like different parts of it. Michigan's offensive line is a liability at this point. 
Yeah. So they, wasn't it I, wasn't it considered a strength for them coming into the year too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of them. One of them. I think I think the only major concern they had was that running back, and I still think there's a concern there because they're forced. I think there's a lot of concerns with that team. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean they they look like a. I, I don't want to say I, I I think it's a little bit too early and Wisconsin's a lot better than I think all of us thought too. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I do think that Iowa's defensive line just needs to find a way to bring pressure. I think they need to mix up some schemes. They got to do some bait and switch uh, tactics, kind of free up Epinesa. I think Davion Nixon needs to have a breakthrough game and a guy I thought was going to break out too. Chauncey Golston needs to break through as well. These guys are playing a lot of snaps. Um, but, you know, they need to find a way to get pressure on the quarterback because that's going to lead to a lot of success down the road. Again, I want to bring up Michigan-Wisconsin again. Shea Patterson made extremely poor decisions when he was under pressure. Iowa needs to get that kind of pressure on him, especially given the talent that Michigan's wide receiver room has. I think the only quarterback in the country that – maybe two – that can handle the pressure a lot better than most or in, like, a different tier than most – or everyone else is Jake Fromm or Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama. I think once you get into the backfield of any of those, and like near the quarterback of any of the teams in the Big Ten, they're going to have issues. They're going to panic and they're going to try and make a play and maybe mess something up along those lines. So yeah, it's it's really important, especially going into conference play. You're going up against some much better offensive lines. You got Wisconsin's offensive line who amazing is, yeah arguably one of the best if not the best in the country um even like penn states i think is solid too um just mm-hmm. in the michigan i mean they've struggled but they've showed flashes and they have talent on the line on the interior so you're going to go up against a lot better off or, def- or offensive lines excuse me and in a game like middle tennessee state where or middle tennessee what have you there's going to be there's going to be opportunities to get into the backfield easily more easily than before and i think iowa really needs to take advantage of that to find those holes and really try and get that confidence up like you said dave and which will be huge going into conference play because like i said before just all those stacked offensive lines that don't really have a huge weak spot like they're solid all across the board while mm-hmm. in tennessee there's probably certain pockets of the offensive line, certain gaps that you can take, certain angles, what have you, that you can get into the backfield and make O'Hara use his feet, which he's good at. But I think once you kind of limit that or put a QB spy on him, he's going to panic and he's going to make boneheaded plays that really can make the game into something that Middle Tennessee did not want at all. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. I think that should be the strategy. Uh, and I, here's the thing, too. Iowa's defensive line has the talent. Right now, they just don't have the depth. By the way, uh, I was going to mention this a little bit later, but I'll bring it up now. Uh, Joe Evans, who's done been praised all throughout the offseason, and has you know, seen a handful of snaps uh, so far through this season, is out uh, for a while with a with a hamstring injury. Um, so, you know, that's just that's another hit to the Iowa, just the Iowa defense in general. Uh, you know what, Let, let's transition into talking about some of the injuries. Uh, Kirk Ferentz did provide us a little bit of an update today. Alaric Jackson is the only guy that's really shown a very big step forward. I highly doubt he plays this weekend. 
you know, unless Kirk's just kind of hiding something, which it's happened before, granted. Uh, but I do think that they're going to save him for Michigan. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to say he's going to play against Michigan, but right now where things are at, that's looking like that could be. Another guy, uh, Kyler Schott, uh, who's been a great story to follow so far this uh, this season, the walk-on. He's going to be out uh, for a while. He hurt himself during a Sunday practice. So, But the good news is for Iowa that Cole Banwart started seven games last year, and Cole Banwart is 100%. Kirk said that he he probably could have played the last couple weeks. He did play two weeks ago, but he wanted to make sure Banwart was 100% because the kid deserves to be healthy for part of his football career. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting because he said that Banwart played at 80% all last year. So it'll be, and he did a nice job last year. So I'm interested to see what he does uh, when he's a hundred percent. So that's really it for the offensive line right now. Paul Sinzel obviously being the rotation works is good. Linderbaum, by the way, has been tremendous. I think he needs to be in consideration for freshman all American, especially by the way he did of uh, containing Ray Lima uh, and switching over the defense. I, I believe Kayvon Merriweather is back at practice. Kirk really wouldn't say that, but Merriweather put on Instagram last Thursday with a picture of him in a U- Iowa uniform saying, I'm back. So kind of, you know, writing on the wall there. Uh, Julius Brents is still out. Riley Moss, I think, is still three weeks away because it was a four to six week injury. So maybe Penn State, maybe uh, he could come back. And then Matt Hankins has a hamstring injury and, the, you know how those affect defensive backs. So we'll see where sure. where Matt Hankins is at. But this this team just continues to get beat up. Yeah, I mean the bye week and just the Middle Tennessee matchup cannot come at a better time because Middle Tennessee, we've touched on it, isn't very strong up and down. And this could be another game where you can get your guys healthy and get get everything situated. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, and you know, it'll be interesting to see if Merriweather is good to go, if they go with Jack Kerner or if if Merriweather is going to start. I would anticipate DJ Johnson is going to start at corner. And he, I like it, like like you mentioned earlier. He, I thought he really did do a, a really nice job in that second half, especially looking back over the film. Uh, but so I, I'll be interested to see how he kind of holds his own in his kind of home opener debut. You also did a VIP article on the two true freshmen that are in the mix now. Uh, Justin Britt continues to be an incredible story, I think. And actually, his mother on Twitter replied uh, to a tweet of mine, and actually, he didn't hurt his other knee like didn't tear his ACL and his other knee. Uh, but apparently they opened up his other, he, both of his knees were looked at uh, after he tore his ACL and his right knee. So for him to come back from all that is it's incredible. And for Kirk Ferentz and them to be praising him like they are just a testament to the kind of character that, that Brit has and that football acumen that he has and kind of, you know, that God given size and strength and the work ethic. Uh, another guy that is in the mix is Jamari Harris, who 
I remember Sean was kind of going to bat for Harris about Iowa should offer him. And right now it's kind of, it's looking like that's going to be a great late snag for Phil Parker and that defense. Yeah. I mean, Jamar being from the Chicago suburbs, so he's actually from Chicago, but went to a kind of a rival high school of mine. I was familiar with him, knew about him from kind of like playing basketball and whatnot, but yeah, just a great athlete. Didn't really start playing football until I think he was a junior in high school, I want to say, because his senior year was his first year playing defensive back, and he had eight interceptions against pretty good competition, too. I mean, Montini Catholic plays against some good some good squads. So he really had his he really had a good a good senior year, very good senior year. Um, picked up a couple of FCS offers. I think Northern Illinois was one of his FBS offers. And then the last week before the second signing day. In February, Iowa decided to offer him. He basically almost committed on the spot, but took an official visit and ended up signing with Iowa. So, yeah, I mean, if I, you would have told me that Jamari would have made an impact right away or at least been on the depth chart, I would have told you you're crazy. I mean, I love his size. I love his speed. I love his athleticism. Very good. Like I said, very good size for a corner. Um, kind of has a college-ready frame in a sense. I think the mental side of it's where he's going to have some hills to car, some walls to climb over, but he's a smart kid overall, really picks up the position well, and is going to be a guy that I'm excited to see grow up in Phil Parker's system for sure. Yeah, and I think I think the only thing he really has to do is kind of get those reps down, like you said. I mean, first year playing corner. By the way, he, he didn't just play corner uh, senior year. He, he played it very well. What he had yeah. like seven or eight interceptions. Which eight interceptions, yeah. Eight interceptions is incredible for a first year uh, cornerback. I think he has to put a little bit more weight on his frame, but like you said, six foot one. He has the frame that Iowa likes to use. They, he's got the speed. He's got the athleticism. So I, I think there's a lot of upside there. So and the thing is that I, I do kind of want to hammer home real quick. Iowa has talent in their defensive back room. They just don't have a lot of experience, and that's why people are worried. But, I mean, Iowa's just not throwing in guys just to throw in guys. Like, these are very talented players, and Iowa's defensive back recruiting continues to, I think, improve. Um, but like like you said, that, that mental aspect, they need the reps to really kind of carve out what they're going to be and to kind of really just learn from hard experiences. We saw that with DJ Johnson against Iowa State. I mean, DJ Johnson was a four-star corner. Remember, LSU wanted him late in the process, but he decided to stick with Iowa. But after giving up that flea flicker and biting on that biting on that flea flicker, that next drive, they went deep DJ Johnson's way again, and Johnson broke it up. And that's the kind of talent that Iowa has, but he learned from the experience. I thought that was, I thought that was one of the biggest plays of the game just because it showed, okay, Johnson's not going to get beat time and time again. We saw that a couple of years ago when Iowa played Purdue. Uh, I mean, uh, last year when Iowa played Purdue, actually, Iowa kept throwing in different corners to try to contain. Uh, it wasn't Rondale Moore. I, the name's escaping me right now. But he had like six receptions for 150-some yards and three touchdowns. I mean, he was just having himself a day, and Iowa couldn't stop him. And I was thinking, okay, this could be the same thing. Iowa's secondary is kind of depleted, but Johnson stepped up to the plate. That I, I think that was huge. And I think he's going into this middle Tennessee game extremely confident. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you mentioned it, Dave. 
another confidence booster. I think the thing people got to realize with freshmen too is I understand like they were under, they were playing for a red shirted. So they were just practicing, getting their, getting their body right. I mean, now with the new rules, you can play up to four games, but I think now just switching that mindset from, okay, I'm a freshman, um, kind of just getting everything settled, whatnot, getting used to stuff to just now you're playing, now you're starting, now you're a big piece and a team that has a chance to make it to the Big Ten Championship or at least compete in the Big Ten West. And that takes a lot of like courage and just totally just a strong mental kind of part of your game because we know DJ Johnson has skills. We know he's talented. We know he's athletic. We know he has potential. I mean, you saw it with his offer list, but that's a big gap from playing mainly against competition um, in practice to, okay, now I'm playing in front of 70, 60, what have you, thousand fans. Um, and I'm trying to make, trying to not mess up or at least like trying to prevent a big play or being a big part of the defense. And I got to communicate with my guys. I got to make sure everyone's on the same pace. I got to make sure we call out switches or we stay on our man, whatnot. Um, that's a, that's a huge, that's a huge jump. And I think Johnson, he learned from his mistake and he played fairly decent the rest of the game. Same thing with Kerner too, a walk-on. Like I know Iowa is known for their walk-ons, but that's still like, it kind of takes a while to really realize that, okay, I'm a walk-on, but I'm, I'm a big part of this team. So I think both of those guys did a great, have done a great job so far of kind of overcoming that mental gap and really like adjusting well to the level that they're playing at. I think it's, I think it's really tough and you got to You got to tip your hat to them on that end. Yeah. I mean, I think like you said, you know, a perfect example of that. I think Iowa just gets a different mentality from walk-ons. I mean, the first guy I think of, I mean, Jake Gervas, he was a walk-on. He he's a, he played significantly for three years and did a very good job. He was, he had the game clinching interception in the Outback Bowl. Uh, and he, he played great in that Outback Bowl. So, yeah, no, I, I think I think I think you summed it up really well. Johnson's going to be a big piece going forward, but I think it also raised the question, Sean: Do you throw him back at Cash or do you keep him at corner? Because now he's shown at corner that you know he could be a player out there, and I think I yeah. think that's going to be going to have to be a legitimate decision that the coaches are going to have to make because I know they want to use him for the cash, but. I mean, you and I have kind of said it a couple of times, Sean, especially preseason. Dane Belton is a really good safety prospect, but he might be a really good cash prospect. Yeah, I think there's a couple of guys, too, that could fit into that role. I mean, I think Hankins is more of a corner, but Dane Belton, too. We haven't really seen him on the field yet, how he kind of compares to everything. But I think DJ Johnson, depending on what happens with, the injuries and kind of where things stand. Um, I think it'll be kind of tough to really get a good gauge on kind of who or like what, what guys are really adapting well, what guys aren't. That's going to be a big decision for the coaching staff. You look at the positives. I mean, the cash was working kind of, I think there's still some adjustments to it, but especially with a new guy at that hybrid position, I mean, you had Amani Hooker who, has been doing has been played sparingly in the NFL, but still he was a big he was what? Third, second round, third, fourth, third. Uh, Let's just say a lot of NFL teams liked him. And yeah. he 
really had a breakout year. And you're going from a guy who didn't really play much as a freshman or as a true freshman. Like that's a big jump and that takes a lot that takes a lot of growing up to do. Um so yeah, I think I think it's gonna be a big dis- coaching decision for the coaching staff. I think he had to take an effect too. I think Julius Brents, I'm not really sure the whole what the whole deal is with him, how close he is to returning. Um Yeah, I that's been that's been to, one of the biggest question marks. Yeah, because I think when Julius he returns Brent. Yeah, because I mean you you saw it last year, everyone saw it last year. He was he was really, really good most of the it time. Really Struggled at sometimes, but for the most part, was really, really good. Even Riley Moss, like as much crap as he got from some people and how kind of teams would target him here and there, he, he made an impact against Minnesota when he had the two picks. Or was it just one pick or two picks? My my head's not working today. Uh, I think he had two picks. Yeah, he had by two picks. By the way, picks. just a quick correction. Amani Hooker, by the way, was a second team All-American, and he was a fourth-round draft pick, 116th overall. Right, and he was in Phil Parker's system for what? Four years? Five years? Uh, three years. I think he was only three yeah. year player, true junior. I told, I told you. Amani, 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 Amani Hooker, I think, just turned twenty one a couple weeks ago. Like he was one of the <laughs> youngest players in the in the NFL draft. Kind of right, like yeah. uh, James Daniels was. Yep. Yep. So. So yeah, I mean, like I, like you said, Sean, that the defensive backs, I. Like you said, I, I think the cash position, I think there's a lot of usage for it, but they need to find the right guy. And it, like you said, it's going to be really interesting to see what they decide to do with Riley Moss and, and Julius Brents. I You and I, we've talked about this before on the show too. What if they throw Riley Moss back as a safety? Good size, fast runner, loud, could be a good communicator. Like he's a guy I think that could play a legit, if they need a safety guy, someone to switch. I think he's a guy that you go with. Interesting that they were talking about doing that with Michael Ojemudia earlier in the year, and Ojemudia has been locked down. I think Pro Football Focus said when he's been targeted, uh, I think like opposing quarterback rating against him is 0. Uh, 0.0. So he's Jeez. been really locked down this year. I think he was one of only two guys in the country with that. Yeah, that's – I think when you look, to at the cast position, who knows what – I think. I mean, I think Hankins will stay for his senior season. There's no doubt about that. I'm looking towards the future. Um, then you got OJ too, who will be gone after this year. But you can move Johnson to the corner with some of those guys with Brents and Hankins, and then you could put maybe a Dane Belt in that cash. Um, but that's that's a conversation for next year. Um, but yeah, I think the coaching staff is going to have a lot to decide with that because with Big Ten play. There's a term, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think the 4-3 has done its job thus far. I, You agree with me, Dave, on that? Yeah, I think for the – well, especially given the adversity that the team has had, I would say so. But yeah. I do think that they need the cash personnel to mix things up, especially when they go up against those spread offenses and those guys that just like throw the ball down the field. I mean, I think of teams like Nebraska. I think of teams like – I mean, they, they, they got the cash package – because of Wisconsin. So they, they're going to want that against Wisconsin. I mean, mm-hmm. if it was available against Michigan, I think that would be a huge part of the game plan because I was going to bring this up during our Middle Tennessee quick preview. Middle Tennessee doesn't have a lot of size. They have a lot of speed. Michigan's wide receivers are big. Like they are one of the most talented wide receiver groups in the country. They're big. They're fast. They're physical. 
and they're, they're the works. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're going you're gonna to need to switch it up against them. I think Middle Tennessee, you can kind of get away with just doing one or the other. Um, I think if they stick with one, it'd be the four three. But I think it would make a lot of sense, even with the lack of depth. Because who knows? Maybe we'll get Jamari Harris. He'll play meaningful snaps. Um, who knows? Um, I think that would be something to look out for. Maybe put him into the game for a couple plays, and then switch to that four two five and see see what you can get out of that. Yeah, and you know, I I here's the thing I was gonna bring up as well. Don't be surprised if some other stuff happens before Saturday. I'm not saying that to hint you. I'm not saying that as an inside knowledge. But we've seen stuff, uh, especially this year on, you know, late Friday night, early Saturday morning. Oh, someone's available. Someone's not available, you know. So if one of the defensive backs are available and it gets reported Saturday morning, don't be don't be surprised. Because that's just the way the game's kind of played from a coaching perspective. It's also worth mentioning, because I haven't yet, Makai Sargent claims he's 100% healthy now. Uh, and it was interesting because he said he's he's primarily left-handed, and most people don't know that, so that switch wasn't a big deal to him. And the way that he said he hurt his wrist was he just fell wrong. Nobody fell on it. He just fell wrong. So it could have been a very minor sprain. It could have been maybe kind of a jam. Uh, in his wrist, but he said he was never afraid that was going to be broken or anything like that, but he said he's 100% healthy and ready to go, which is a huge kind of sigh of relief, I think, uh, from the Iowa fan base because I think Sargent's been really good this year. Yeah, no, totally. That was huge before that game to get him him fully equipped. I mean, didn't have the best game. No one really had a stud stud performance out there except for Keith Duncan. but just to get him healthy and keep him healthy is is huge. Yeah, and, you know, I do want to bring this up as well. I, I try to get some answers from Makai, uh, Nate Stanley, and a couple other people today. But Iowa's running back, Sean, they have 19 receptions right now this season. And that I think that number has been – that's a very good number. And it's also provided a big spark uh, to Iowa. I mean, look at Ivory Kelly Martin. That's a guy who's totally bought into the team, bought into the role. And we we talked to him today. I was very impressed by the way he's kind of handled the role switch, uh, you know, with Tyler Goodson, especially getting in the mix. And Ivory Kelly Martin's made some big plays. I don't think people realize. I think against Iowa State, there's a third and two. And Ivory dodged about three or four defenders and got that first down. I thought that was, again, one of the biggest plays of the game. Uh, He had that spark against uh, Miami, Ohio, when he had that 22-yard uh, screen pass. And I think Nate, th- those, ch- I don't want to say check downs, but the halfback screens have worked really well this season. I can, that's not going to go away, but the Iowa running backs have shown a very, very good s- sign of making things happen in open space. And I, I, I love Nate Stanley's trust in Goodson because that's, it's, it'd be easy for a, you know, a senior quarterback, third year star to not trust a true freshman in the backfield, but 
from everything I've garnered, I think everyone trusts Goodson uh, on that offensive line. And the running backs have been a very good part of why Iowa's passing attack really hasn't gone away despite losing Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, and Nick Easley. Yeah, I think with Kelly Martin and Goodson, they bring a totally different dynamic to this offense. Um, I mean, Makai Sargent has speed, but I look at him as more of a balance type. But when you go with guys like Ivory Kelly Martin and Tyler Goodson, they're they're more finesse and speed kind of running back, uh, guys that can get you once they get their blocks or make some nice cuts, kind of create more yards with their feet rather than their upper body. So, I mean, I mean Tyler Goodson did have that one that one truck on the Iowa State defender, which was huge. But uh, by the way, just so that, just just for note, that wasn't just an Iowa State defender. That's all Big Twelve safety, Greg Ainsworth. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a good player and great tackler too. But yeah, I think those guys bring a different kind of dynamic. I mean, we're still kind of waiting for that big play from an Iowa running back, and I think Makai has that big playability. But you look at guys like Tyler Goodson and Ivory Kelly Martin with their speed and their kind of craftiness and finesse, they can get to that second level of the defense and get into the open field like an Eric Wadley type because that's that's kind of how they were compared to during the recruiting process. I'm not really sure about IKM with that, but I know Tyler Goodson, a lot of people were comparing him to Akram Wadley and just how well he is in open space and how, how good he can move. And when you get him the ball in the right spots, he's going to make a play. I think there's been multiple times where he's been one tackle away from mm-hmm. getting to that second level and getting a huge gain and even a touchdown on a long, on a long play. So I think just having those guys in the backfield are huge. I mean, Torn Young and Mackay Sargent, those are guys who are your starters. They're going to make plays for you. But it's always nice to switch it up and kind of see what you can get from those, from IKM and Goodson, just because they're such great playmakers. Yeah, you know, my my bold prediction actually this week is Goodson's going to break off a run, and I think he scores his first touchdown this weekend. I think there's a lot of opportunity for him. Middle Tennessee State has given up over 200 rushing yards a game in every game this year. So Iowa has to hit that 200 yard mark to prove that, you know, they're going to be able to run the football. And again, I don't want to look ahead too much to Michigan, but Michigan's 114th in rushing defense right now. So Iowa is going to need to run the football. Uh, like I said, I, I, I agree with that. I think Goodson has shown a lot of flash and I do think they scores this weekend. I think that he could be the uh, top backup by the end of the year. I've We've kind of hinted at that all year and, just turning on the tape, there's no reason for me to change my mind right now. Uh, yeah. I think he, the, the 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 dynamic he brings. Um, a couple of quick notes about Iowa's start, and then we're going to quickly dive into Iowa basketball because Iowa basketball started practice, I believe, today. So was it? Did they start practice today, or was I it believe, just workouts? No. Well, I think I think they, I think today is the first day they could start practicing officially. I thought it was at some point in October. That is – I'm going to double-check on that just really quick. But a couple of notes really quick about Iowa football. This will be the third time, I believe, since 2002 that Iowa start off 4-0 uh, if they if they win. So I think that's a big thing. And Iowa avoiding a September slip-up I think is a big thing. And when Iowa does hit that 4-0 mark and they hit that undefeated in September mark, they generally do pretty well. So I'm interested to see uh, uh, kind of where they can go if they pick up this win. And then 
you know, I think there's going to be a lot of conversations next week about next next week could decide kind of where the season's going to go. If it's going to be a very good a good season or if it's going to be a great one. And right now there's potential for a great one. Uh, but anyway, we were going to quickly dive into Iowa basketball. The reason why Sean got distracted earlier is I told him to ch- check uh, Joe Toussaint's Instagram because they posted a, a group picture of them work uh, at their, them following the workout. And Sean, did you get a look at that? Yeah, I did. I did peep it. Um, uh, do you see it. how strong Joe Toussaint is now? <laughs> yeah, he was flexing a little hard. You can't. You got to give him the. Got to take that away from him a little bit, but <laughs> no, he does. He does look big. He looks the part. He does. He I think part. a lot of those. I think a lot of those guys do. Bakari Evelyn is really flexing, but I'll tell you what, he's stronger than I thought as well. Yeah, I mean, when you're a mid-major guard and for a pretty good major team, you gotta you gotta get some some muscle on your on your frame, and I think Bakari um, is ready for that Big Ten level. I think. I think he's got all the intangibles. He's got the IQ. He's got the he's got the ability to make an impact next year, big time. Like even maybe as a starter, who knows? With depending yeah. on Jordan Bohannon, his status. Which was I my next point, which was interesting, was Bohannon was a, a part of that picture, and it looked like he went through a workout. Mm-hmm. So that I think that's going to come down to the wire if Bohannon's going to be available. Uh, I've kind of said from the start, I think it'd be beneficial for him to take a red shirt this year. But if he says he's a hundred percent, he wants to do it, then, you know, let him go. He could give you, he, he's a guy who could take Iowa from being on the bubble to being in the tournament, obviously because of his dynamic shooting and playmaking ability. Yeah. I, I also think I'm kind of on the fence on this, but I'm sort of leaning towards him not playing just because you've said before, Dave, you kind of want him to enjoy his last year at Iowa. I mean, I know it's going to be hard to watch from the sidelines, but you got to think long-term and you got to think next year, you're bringing back most of those guys outside of Kreener, um, right? Just Kreener at the, yeah. And Evelyn, Evelyn, obviously too, just those two guys, um, which still pretty big impact players. We'll see about, we'll see about Joe Wieskamp. I think he'll have a very big decision to make too. Yeah. Yeah, but I do think you got to kind of look at it that way and be like, uh, yeah, maybe I should kind of hold back and let my body get to 100%. It's interesting, too, because it's kind of amazing to see where his recovery is already gone because the surgery he had, people like I think people realize this, but, I mean, that was a major hip surgery. Like, it, at minimum, it was a five-month recovery, five to nine-month, and just that five-month threshold – is like right at the start of the season. And it's not even just about yeah. being healthy. It's about being 100% I'm in basketball shape, I can play. Yeah, and you got to remember how physical the Big Ten Conference is too. Like those bigger guards, like they'll find a way to kind of take advantage of if you're hurt or if you're even the slightest bit injured, they'll find a way to take advantage of that. They don't back down, and especially with the way we've seen in the past how hard they guard Bohannon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you got guys like Cassius Winston, and I mean, me, maybe even DJ Carton this year, um, and a few other guys that aren't coming to. I'm still in football mode a little bit, but yeah. some of the Big Ten guards that we've seen in the past um, make it Yogi Ferrell types, guys like that make it make it tough, and 
that's a that's a lot of wear and tear in your body. If it's not a hundred percent, then that's it's not gonna be not gonna be fun. See, as always, we'll we'll keep you uh, up to date with on HawkeyeInsider.com. So I, I guess we'll kind of wrap this up, Sean. But let's just go with let, let's make our prediction for Mill Tennessee and and Iowa this weekend. We'll switch quickly back into football for wrapping things up. Uh, what's the score and who's the MVP? I'm going to go 38-7. to seven. Iowa wins. MVP? Ooh, that's tough. I don't really know if I can have one MVP. Go two. I don't even know if I could do two. Like, I don't know if there's a guy that I'm just like – Maybe this guy will have a huge – I mean, I think Amir Smith-Marset is one that comes to mind just because the middle Tennessee secondary is kind of iffy. Um, I think him, one of the other receivers, could have a big showing. Maybe we even see an Oliver Martin touchdown. Who knows? Um, I think defensively, I'm going to have a cop-out and go A.J. Epinesa. I think this is the game where he where he gets his two or three sacks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a game where we, we talked about earlier in the year. I mean, this is a game where you could have two or three just by halftime and then you take them out the second half. Uh, but Mill Tennessee, and like you said, Asher O'Hare has been pretty solid so far this season. Eight touchdowns, two interceptions, leading rusher, 70% completion. I mean, impressive numbers, especially given that, you know, we played against Mich- Michigan, he played against Duke. So, but yeah, you know, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Makai Sargent. I think Iowa's going to look to run the football. I think they're going to look to gain a lot of confidence, especially getting Cole Banwart back in the mix. Uh, I think Sargent has over – they're going to throw in Tyler Goodson a decent amount, and they're going to play Torn Young. That 100-yard threshold is going to be tough for Sargent to get. I'll say he gets at least 80, 85 yards. He'll get at least one touchdown. And, you know, I can see Nate Stanley, though, as well, throwing two or three touchdowns. And I hate agreeing with you, but I think AJ Epinesa is going to be the MVP as well. I think he's got at least two sacks. He's going to be in the backfield constantly, and he's going to be out by the end of the third quarter because Lord knows Iowa cannot afford any more injuries <laughs> in that defense. Um, final score: I'm going to go. I'm going to go 45 to 10. I think. I think Iowa's got no problem putting up points. I think the offense is a little bit angry after last week. I think Nate Stanley's going to come out with a vengeance, and I think they're going to be able to run the football effectively. I mean, it's this is a game where to look. Middle Tennessee is a nice football program under, and they have a very good offense under under 14th the 14th year head coach. But Iowa's just more talented, even with all the injuries, and Iowa's going to want to get a lot of confidence before going into a potentially season-changing game uh, against Michigan and in Ann Arbor. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's going to about do it for us. We're going to have a post-game podcast following Middle Tennessee, probably around 15, 20 minutes. We'll get that up, just wrapping things up. That will be on HawkeyeInsider.com as well as all of our preview content, recruiting content, and post-Middle Tennessee content. Hopefully we'll get we'll get Dylan back in the mix sometime soon, Sean. Yeah, that would be, be nice. I miss you, Dylan. Yeah I, yeah, I don't, but it's all good. Uh, anyway, for HawkeyeInsider.com and Swarmcast, David Eichel, as well as Sean Bach, we are signing off, and we'll talk to you again on Saturday.